In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. I am not, generally, one of those people who criticizes America while Canada does the same ugly things. I know we have racism here. I know we're way behind on truth and reconciliation. I know we have our own problems. We have more than enough of them. But if you asked me how we compare with the United States on immigration, I'd have told you that on that, at least, we are way better. And then I learned about Canada's dreamers. See, in America, the dreamers are a national issue, a constant discussion. They are under attack from anti-immigration politicians and the Trump administration. I will immediately terminate President Obama's illegal executive order on immigration. I'm here today to announce that the program known as DACA that was effectuated under the Obama administration is being rescinded. But they are also fought for fiercely by Democrats and progressives and major charities and organizations. In many cases, there are more Americans than most Americans are because they have done well in school. They believe what they, the basic principles that we all share. I think they should be, in fact, fine, put on a path to citizenship. Here in Canada, I didn't even know we had dreamers. And yes, I'm embarrassed by my own ignorance, but I think it serves to make a larger point. When we assume that we don't have the problems that America does, we often make our most vulnerable invisible to us. Invisible to the system, invisible to the people who might give them the help or make the change they need. So my proposal for today is whatever your political stance, let's not ignore the problem. Let's at least make sure that we know these young people and their stories, and that we know what they're facing when they should be enjoying the best years of their lives. Rawlings, this is The Big Story. David Bruiser is a reporter with the Investigative Unit at the Toronto Star. Hi, David. Hi, how are you? I'm well, thanks. And I gotta say, as I said in the intro, I'm embarrassed. I didn't know we had dreamers here in Canada. Can you just kind of define the term and what it means here for me? Uh, sure. The, the, the young people uh, we followed uh, are not unlike uh, the people in the U.S. Uh, whom the name uh, originally belongs to. These Canadian dreamers are teens and young adults in the GTA uh, in Toronto uh, who are brought here as minors, often as toddlers, sent here by their families to stay with relatives who are often also undocumented, sent here to get a good education, you know, to work hard and eventually contribute to society. Uh, these kids go to elementary schools here, junior school, then high school, the same as their peers who have citizenship or permanent residency or some kind of status, except they have none. Uh, but it doesn't matter because there is a don't ask, don't tell policy in public schools. Undocumented kids can go. 
Uh, but it's not so simple when it comes uh, to university. So what we did is focus on the dreamers who are around the age where they should be thinking about going to university or are of the age that one typically goes to university because this is where they get thwarted and stunted because they cannot afford due to restrictive policies. And it's unfortunate because these public schools they went to are their schools just like they were yours and mine when we were growing up in Canada. It's the same schools that encouraged us to aspire and to dream and to strive, instilled in these undocumented kids the same drive and fostered the same ambition. Do we uh, know the scale, either officially or unofficially, of this? Like, how, how many are there living in Canada? Uh, don't know for sure. Uh, one of the reasons is they're not checking in with some authority to be counted right. for an obvious reason. Uh, so it's tough to know for sure. And, and the schools, due to the don't ask, don't tell policy, say uh, that they do not track the numbers in their schools. But as part of our reporting, we were able to sort of triangulate a number um, through access to information legislation. Uh, we got an internal memo sent between officials and the federal government, uh, and that estimates the number of undocumented people living in Canada at around 500,000, with about half of those in the GTA. Uh, now, that's all ages, uh, but we were able to de mm -hmm. deduce from that that there are thousands of young people you know, in junior and high school who are approaching um, this critical stage or who have graduated and are currently shut out of post-secondary school. So explain to me how that happens then. Um, they graduate high school and the don't ask, don't tell policy ends and, and what challenges do they face? Well, put simply, they can't go because they can't afford it. Uh, and there are two main reasons that, that our reporting identified. One is that universities and colleges charge foreign student tuition to those without citizenship, permanent residency, or refugee status. And what this means is that a base tuition that is, you know, four or five or as much as nine times the amount that a domestic student would pay. Uh, and then uh, to make that obstacle even more formidable, these undocumented kids then cannot go to OSAP to get help to pay for school because they're not eligible for OSAP. And now just to add to those two points is that some post-secondary schools even told me that these kids would also have to get a study permit, which is in a way not even really applicable or suitable to their situation. One of the requirements of getting a study permit, uh, which let's remember are, are geared towards people who live in another country, uh, is that an applicant tell the immigration authorities that they promise to leave Canada after their permit expires. Right. So in the case of these dreamers, where do they go? I mean, Toronto is their, Toronto is their home. Why don't we get into it with you telling me about one of the young people you found named uh, Janie Peters. And tell me, first of all, I guess, how you found her, uh, where she's at, and just tell me about her life. Uh, I was tipped to uh, the story of Janie and a few others through people who are working to advocate and help these people. And when I, and when I met her, though it would take some time, understandably, to build trust for her to share her story, even while... Uh, her identity was anonymized for the purposes of the story. It wasn't long. In fact, it was in the very first meeting when it quickly bubbled to the surface how this, how these barriers have uh, made her feel in the position it's it's put her in. Uh, she talked about, and it was eye-opening for me to hear, about how in high school she didn't even tell her closest friends about her lack of status. Didn't go to parties where a police officer might come responding to a neighbor's noise complaint. Didn't get in a car with a friend driving because they might get pulled over. Basically tried to avoid anything that could bring her face-to-face -face with an official who might say, 
can I see some ID? Because that could begin a process that she legitimately feared could lead to her deportation from what the only home she has ever really known. I mean, she moved to Canada when she was six and she's now 23. Um, mm. And so because she faced these barriers to a post-secondary education, when I first met her in 2018, she was working in an industrial bakery instead of going to university, feeling like that was a dead-end job. Uh, making the pastries that we Torontonians practically depend on when we visit our favorite coffee shops in the morning. And so she felt um, like she was going nowhere and felt incredibly frustrated and um, and was quite sad by it. How did she feel coming out of high school? Uh, what did she want to do instead of working in an industrial bakery? And, you know, what was her experience in high school? Uh, her experience, uh, she was doing well. Uh, I think her grades were A's and B's. I think teachers and a guidance counselor uh as the time approached, uh, what are you going to do? Are you going to apply to university? Where are you going to apply? And she basically uh, deferred, delayed, evaded, and told people, oh, I'm going to take a year off and make some money, which she knew was kind of a lie because deep deep down what she felt was likely going to happen was that she'd be in a factory, uh, to use her words, for the rest of her life. Mm -hmm. And uh, another dreamer um, who we named in the story is uh, Shauna Bailey, said that she basically felt like a fraud because she she told the same thing to other people in her life who had grown to trust her. And she felt really crappy having to lie to them. But she knew that she wasn't going to university and she didn't want to have to. And she felt that she couldn't explain why. So assuming that these folks really want to go to post-secondary education, are there any options? There is. Um, people uh, might have heard, your listeners might have heard about a program in the States called DACA, though it's under assault by the Trump administration. And last I checked, no new applicants were being taken. Current recipients of DACA basically get conditional temporary residency if they meet certain conditions. There's no program like that geared towards dreamers in Canada. What there is, is something called permanent residency on humanitarian and compassionate grounds. Um, it's a lengthy application process. Uh, what I understand is it happens in two stages of approval. It could take a couple years it's a minimum of $600 to apply, which is not insignificant for these folks who have precarious jobs. And perhaps more important to them, it carries two fundamental risks. One is uh, data we obtained showed that for those who apply for this status within Canada have about a 40% chance of failure mm. and failure could lead to deportation. Secondly, as part of the application process, they have to disclose the names and addresses of people in their family. And in some cases, those family members could be undocumented themselves. So these applicants feel like they're taking other people's lives and sense of security into their hands just by applying. So what's that like? Did you talk to anyone who was in the process of going through it? Absolutely. Uh, both Janie Peters and Shonda Bailey and others I met and, and followed off and on for a couple of years uh, are in that process. They're waiting on tenterhooks uh, for their results to see if they're accepted or approved. Uh, there is one person I interviewed who is named and identified in the story because she did get approved uh, after spending six or seven years working for, you know, cash under the table and jobs that she may not have really preferred to do. But she finally got her status and she felt like she was able to step out of the shadows of, of the city that she calls home name herself. She's now going to U of T, uh, pursuing the degree she's always wanted to pursue, starting at the age of 27 years old. Who helps these people? Tell me about the organizations that uh, you got in touch with, or just the people, I guess. I don't know how grassroots they are. Yeah, there are some really wonderful people, uh, advocates, 
uh, in some cases, lawyers who are helping, uh, in many cases, pro bono to get, for example, these um, permanent residency applications done to generally give them counsel and advice. Advocates like Sarah Pohl at CASA, uh, Tanya Aberman, who is with another group, S4, and Francisco Rico Martinez of the FCJ Center in West Toronto. They all advocate for people in this situation. Also, uh, a Bay Street law firm, Blake Castles and Graydon, helped two of the dreamers in our story with their applications for uh, permanent residency. That's all on a case-by-case basis. Is there anything being uh, kicked around or fought for or proposed that would structurally uh, address the problem? That's a good question. I think some of the the advocates we just talked about uh, want uh, systemic change. In the meantime, there is uh, a program that is a -a one-of-a-kind program at York, York University, which I think does show... Um, that one of the fundamental two barriers uh, blocking these people can be dealt with. What York University has done, basically, is found a way to knock down the foreign student tuition requirement. And how they do that is first through a bridging program where people who get in can bone up on skills that may have dulled while out of a classroom. And if they score a B or higher, uh, the program that runs that course will support the student's application to York uh, for undergraduate degree at domestic tuition. If they get in, they pay the domestic rates, which is great, but they still have no access to OSAP. So they can only take a couple courses at a time or whatever it is they can afford while they're still doing full-time work to afford those courses. Are other universities uh, following this program? Is there anything else on the table? Not specifically. I uh, did see that in the course of our reporting, Ryerson told us that they are exploring ways to try to deal with these barriers that dreamers face. In fact, in 2017, a Ryerson graduate student wrote a pretty compelling uh, master's thesis or dissertation about these issues. And and it basically was a a call to the school to try to find a way to improve access. And and a, a vice provost told us that they are looking at it. But I've heard of no other specific plans elsewhere. As for the OSAP, issue. I I think that if if people in the provincial government feel like that's an issue they need to visit, uh, they could. Uh, I don't know if they are. Can you tell me a little bit about what the folks you talk to are doing to keep on, I guess, while they wait for this process to conclude? I mean, I, I just... Reading your story, I can't fathom what it's like to kind of be, first of all, be stuck in limbo. Um, and second of all, you know, feeling like you're you're missing out of a, of a very uh, important period in your life. That's a good question. I, I've i only known them to be in this condition since I've met them. And I'm not, I'm not their best right. friends and I'm not their family members, but they've been aware of this frustrating state, that this limbo that they're in for a while. In one compelling case... Um, they they taught me that they've in some way been dealing with this or they've had an awareness about this uh, limbo for a long time. And, and the one compelling anecdote I'm referring to is Janie Peters. Uh, and, and our story closes with the anecdote. Uh, she she ta- tells about how in grade eight, um, her class uh, was considering going to Detroit on a class trip for uh, lessons about the Underground Railroad. And she was so excited, and she went to the Jane Finch Mall Concourse with her school-issued chocolate bars, and uh, she hustled, and she was a top seller in the class, and the trip was on. And so she came home really excited and told her mother about this trip and and how she'd contributed to it, and her mother just said, I'm sorry, but you can't go. Um, And she was 
devastated. And she's like, why? And, and her mother explained the whole issue of status and how she couldn't go to the border. Mm-hmm. And, and it was really at that moment in the eighth grade when she became fully aware of her limitations and that she would have to evade and dodge and do what she could to keep her very sort of tenuous place in the city. I mean, the experience that you just described sounds a lot like the stories that we hear of, uh, you know, young Americans' immigration experience. And many Canadians uh, are pretty critical of American immigration policy. And this seems almost exactly like it. And I wonder why uh, we don't talk about it the same way. I mentioned to you that I was embarrassed. I didn't even know um, these people were here with this problem. And is that the case for most Canadians? I don't know. I think so. I mean, I didn't I didn't know about it until someone tipped me to it. And then I met with some of these dreamers and it was eye opening. Uh, I, it was a revelation to me. And uh, you know, it's my own ignorance. I, I, I don't I don't know why it is that there seems to be so much more awareness of this issue uh, in the U.S. than Canada. But with the help of some of the advocates I met as as part of this reporting, um, hopefully this becomes a, an issue that does get on people's radar. What do you think uh, comes next for this? I know you mentioned uh, one of the subjects you followed uh, was just approved. Um, do you have any idea uh, of when uh, the other ones are expecting rulings? And and what happens if they do lose? Like, will they be deported or is there just a chance of that? I think it's a, a real, uh, it's, a re- it's a real threat because there's a 40% failure rate does not mean that there's a 40% deportation rate. I'm not suggesting that. But it's nonetheless a real uh, concern, and, and it is a real possibility. I think they wait. Uh, they wait for something to come into the mail. And I think it's um, it's stressful. It's anxiety-inducing. Mm-hmm. Uh, they continue to hope for a systemic change, uh, even though there has been little indication that that, that is coming. And, and despite the fact that there is now this COVID pandemic and very understandably, there is some major news dominating the headlines uh, uh, in newspapers and the channels of radio and TV and podcasts. I think that they hope that despite all of that, that um, perhaps uh, some Canadians will notice their plight as well. I hope so too. I know uh, I've learned a lot about it in the last few days. So thank you, David. Thank you very much for your interest. David Bruiser, a reporter at the investigative unit at the Toronto Star. That was The Big Story. For more, head to thebigstorypodcast.ca. Find us on Twitter at TheBigStoryFPN. Head to your favorite podcast application. Leave us a rating. Leave us a review. Tell us what you think. Tell your friends. We need more listeners, as always, and I'd appreciate it. Thanks for listening. I'm Jordan Heath-Rawlings. We'll talk tomorrow.